Hello and welcome to The Found Cause. We have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And all the way across the airwaves, it's... Theodore, under the PC, under the person of Christ. Theodore, I'm so glad we have our epithets down. You know, we used to do those weird, unique intros, and oh my gosh, what a stressor, <laughs> and they were bad. Um, today's episode is, like many... Um, one where it's a theater idea that we have all blossomed into. And you know, sometimes theater ideas are like huge home runs. So hopefully today's is. Um, you'll also notice that uh, facial hair is just blooming here in the Fountain Cause. Not only is theater rocking the beard, but Sebastian's come back from Croatian vacation with a uh, new goatee. I was trying to get something that rhyme with vacation, but yeah, <laughs> <new> goatee. <laughs> uh, rocking it like a mercenary or maybe like a, a regal musketeer. Yeah, or an evil twin. Um, I'll take both. Unrelated to today's episode, because today's episode we're talking about does God have an evil twin, a.k.a. we've got a bunch of Bible passages that are hard to get through. And maybe, Theater, you can give some background on this, because this is your baby child. Yeah. So, uh, possibly a shameful, shameful admittance. <laughs> I had, well, I guess I still have not ever, like, full gone through the Bible straight to end but this year i'm making it my goal and i know i will um finally do it i'm going through the chronological bible so beginning to end and uh, in books like judges joshua first and second kings first second first and second samuel i come across these just bonkers uh verses and passages passages and exchanges between God, man, man, and man, and animals, killing men, yep, and burning, stoning, and whatever. I thought, oh goodness, uh, and I'd never like really read through through those before. So I thought, probably better that uh, I or really any Christian knows about these things because there are times when an atheist or somebody else might just uh, cherry pick one of these wild verses and just say. How about this? Take that, or what do you think of that? Mm -hmm. um, and better to know about things like that um, for being blindsided by it. Right, and I mean your your experience as a first time reading these verses because they're all weird is not unique. Like they they are verses that catch a lot of people up. So even if an atheist never comes to you and says, you know, explain to me Joshua chapter seven, where all the people are. Um, you might just be reading it and go, what in the world? Like, why did God do this? I remember my first time reading through the law, you get to some weird laws or laws that sound very harsh. And my question to my mother was like, are these God's laws or are these like ones that were like hypothetical laws or something? Cause they seem very harsh. Um, so even, even I, the great Michael <laughs> had the same questions that I was reading through it the first time. Um, I'll say, I think defaultly what we won't have today is all the law verses. So there are a lot of good godly laws that strike you as very odd or harsh or whatever out of the gate. Um, the, the default position from the found cause, and as everybody should, is to defend those laws that are from God. They're still valid. Of course, there are ones that are fulfilled in Christ, um, but they were never bad. So when you see a law that seems harsh, it actually is good, and that's just corrective. Um, that's a big section of the Bible that will trip people up. We're going to leave it out today just because um, it's its own category. But we've got a ton of different verses to share with you. So without any further ado, let's start walking through many through them and you'll get an idea of what we mean by hard Bible verses. And as we do, to be consistent Christians, we have to take the entirety of the Bible seriously because it's all been inspired by God. And again, just to be consistent and we want to call ourselves Christians, we have to address this. What is God doing here if we're being honest? So... We want to do our best to dive in and see what God was trying to do or yes. communicate. And a cop-out is never that the God of the Old Testament was evil or that they just didn't understand him in the old days. Neither of those things are true, so never stand on that side of the issue. It's totally faithless. Um, not that Christians can't hold those, but those are bad positions to take as Christians. So I'm going to throw you the first one, Theodore, since it's your uh, topic. In theory, Joshua 6 and 7. You want to give some background and give me the, the trouble verse? I think I, I can read it too, but um, yeah. what's happening here in Joshua 6 and 7? So um, I believe they just walked around Jericho, conquered it mm -hmm. uh, and whatnot. And 
And Joshua 6, verses 15 starts out, Then at, uh, on the seventh day they rose early at dawn and... Oh, well, I'll just... The main parts. The city uh, was under a ban. Um, God told them they were only to keep for themselves... Um, okay, verse 18, But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, so... So that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. It goes on to Joshua chapter 7, where it says, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. And so then uh, Joshua sent out some spies to another place, and the men from that place struck down 36 of the Israelites. Um, and Joshua's uh, was wondering why that happened, and God said Israel sinned, and they also have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, and they have taken from them, taken some of the things under the ban, and been stolen and deceived, for having both stolen and deceived. And I'll fast forward. So, it turns out Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from uh, Shinar and 200 shekels of gold and a bar or shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, I coveted them and I took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons and his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. All Israel stoned them with stones and burned them with fire. After they had stoned them with stones, they raised over them a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. So we got that. Yeah, so we have great, great summary. So Jericho, everybody knows that. Ha ha, great story. Toot around with the horns and the walls fall down. Hooray. Um, children's stories about it. There's... There's contemporary worship music about it. What they forget and they neglect to mention usually is that God um, had a ban, like you said, on the city, which was kill everyone and everything, man, woman, and child in Jericho. Um, they didn't surrender. This punishment is part of the Canaanite purging. And so Jericho was completely annihilated. And no plunder was allowed from Jericho except Rahab and her family. It was the only people allowed out of Jericho, famous, famous people. So when one single man took tiny, pretty small plunder, honestly. Um, and you can understand why he took it. It's a big, big gold bar, a bunch of silver coinage, and then a beautiful robe, which just uh, clothing is super valuable. It's not as valuable to Americans, but um, back then, very valuable. So very valuable things that he took, just him. And because of it, God curses the Israelites and makes them start losing battles. So they ask why, and he tells them why. And so they find the guy, and he admits to it. <laughs> now, of course... You might think like, oh, he, he pleaded guilty. Maybe there'll be some some leniency on him. But he didn't really plead guilty. He waited for God to like weed him out. God has them like bring out his whole clan and then his family and then his smaller family and then him um, to find him out. And then he's like, I did it, <laughs> right? Whereas he, he didn't really plead guilty. He really hid until um, the very end. So uh, that being said, God does not show mercy on the guy. Um, and he has them enact the punishment, which is stoning. And the Israelites, for once, they don't usually enact these punishments because they think they're too harsh, but they do stone him. And they don't just stone him, they stone all of his cattle, you know, like all of his belongings, even his animals, his sons and his daughters, and uh, kill them all. So that sounds harsh, doesn't it? And people mm -hmm. would probably uh, uh, mostly ask why, like why his sons and daughters? Um, one thing I would think is that, well, potentially they were um, complicit or they mm. were helping him hide or they knew of it and did not tell Joshua. Um, so they were, in a sense, enabling or just 
condoning uh, sin. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's generally the thing is that God knows the hearts of men, and so He knew these people's intentions. His wife is not mentioned, oddly, but you think she's included unless she's dead. Um, but maybe she didn't know, and that's why she wasn't killed. In any case, all his sons and his daughters, his cattle, his donkey, his sheep, everything was destroyed. I think also so that none of the Israelites could claim all these things and make it a habit or a, a, a way of going about business where you kill one person and take all the stuff. Because right, then he could charge anybody with, he wasn't faithful, stone him and his whole family, and I'll take his donkeys, his cattle, his sheep, his tent, and everything he had. <laughs> so instead they made it clear that they were they were not only excising themselves of the plunder that Achan had took, or Achan, however he said his name, had taken, but also anything else they could have gained from this guy. They were just cutting him off. They weren't stealing his stuff. So that is the reason the Lord was so serious. Uh, but he's totally just. And, and if there's anybody that can call for the death of peoples like the Canaanites or Achan, it's the Lord. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Sebastian? For two. You've got a verse for us. Find it. Samuel, Isaiah? Isaiah. Isaiah. Nice. Oh, I love this one. This is from a great section, Isaiah, from Isaiah 41 all the way to 50. I'm not going to read all of that. But in Isaiah 45, there is a section, verse 7, where God's speaking through the prophet says, uh, I'll, I'll read from... Yeah, I'll read from verse 5. This one's pretty good. Good introduction. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you. Though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. So, what are you telling me? That whenever there's an earthquake, because in, Span in Spanish also interesting rendering, I create calamity. So it's, or, or bring calamity, or evil, yes, yes. Natural disasters is pretty much the intention behind, behind this. So he brings uh, natural calamities. And also, I would say human calamities and warfare, all of that included in the list. So you're telling me that God is behind earthquakes, hurricanes, and... Any, pretty much anything, any, any calamity like that? Right. I thought God was only the God of blessing. I mean, people use this these lines all the time, the friar ones, where they say, um, I'm the Lord, there is no other. I will strengthen you that you have not acknowledged me. If you place the rising sun, the place of its setting. I mean, we all do we all know the worship song? I do. Um, but they forget and neglect, they, they neglect the last part, which is, I form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. So the Lord doesn't just bring goodness on nations he also levels the mountains he doesn't just bless and rise up nations he also subdues nations and strips kings of their armor all prior things so i don't think this one's really a struggle for most people who read it at the time uh, but we should be keen to remember it because i think baby christians who haven't read through all of the scriptures or they only know worship songs they don't see that god does both and god is the one who brings about destruction of the wicked so don't don't think that he doesn't yeah he's pretty much behind they're acting behind the scenes and sometimes interferes directly in human affairs. Isaiah 10 is one that I quote a lot when he actually is driving the king of Assyria to punish Israel, but he's going to punish the king of Assyria because the intentions of his heart are evil. The, the king's intentions are evil. He wants to glorify himself. So God is right in punishing the man, even though he was sent. Yeah. So it's just fascinating to see that pretty much behind all things, God is in control bringing both blessing and calamity. Yeah, and if I can like run a little tangent with this, I think also Christians are tempted to blame evil on Satan or his demons. And not to say that Satan and demons and other men have power, because they do, but they never have authority that God hasn't given them. So if you lose your job on the same day that your mom dies and you get cancer or raiders come and burn down your house or whatever like the horrible scenario could be, know that none of it happened without the Lord expressly allowing it. So the, this was not surprise. It wasn't the devil versus you. And God was like, oh man, I got to go fix this. It, God brings disaster. So yes, the one that was actually bringing disaster could have been Satan, a demon, a person, whatever, or all three. But it's not outside of God's will. And so we should not blame um, Satan uh, as if he had more power than God. I mean, you can blame Satan and say, Satan, you did this thing to me. But you can't say like, 
oh man, if only God had been here, you know, like otherwise this wouldn't have happened. God was there and he allowed it. So we know that God is the master of all things and that it's not like a 50% God, 50% Satan fight and we're just helping him finish it out. Like it's, he's sovereign over all things. The fight is already won. Nice. Again, just to emphasize, why is that a good thing? Because otherwise, I mean, would you rather Satan actually have the power to thwart God's plans? Mm-hmm. You rather Satan actually have legitimate war against God and right. potentially uproot his authority and a, a demo- demonic fallen angel ruling us? I don't think so. I know. And some people say they pretend like they don't care what the scripture says. They care what sounds best. And so they say, well, it doesn't sound good that God creates evil. So um, we're going to go with the whole free will thing. And one, we should always go with what the Bible says. And the Bible does not support God not being sovereign. But two, like you just said, Theodore, if you're doing a create your own belief, like it's build a rare workshop, um, if you if you build your own belief where God isn't sovereign, right? Like he's fighting Satan, truly fighting. And it's not just um, totally sovereign over him. Then you have a, a rogue, 50% powerful Satan who's out there able to do evil like God didn't plan. So that's not a better universe than the real one. All yeah. right. Maybe we need to make something like that. Build a belief workshop. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I was going to say Manichaeanism and Zoroastrianism already exists. It's already 50-50. You can uh, just join that uh, if you want. And you say a little prayer over the heart that you stick into your belief and hope it works out. Uh, I've got a verse. This is, it's going to be the earliest verse, I think, today. And that's Genesis 3. If you're starting to read your Bible, you're a little baby Christian, you get to Genesis 3, and suddenly you're like, huh? That's because Genesis 3 is this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat the tree from the tree in the garden? Um, so the first question Christians ask is, and sometimes they don't ask because they're just faithful, simple faith, but um, so how is the serpent talking? And why is the serpent bad? Um, two questions. And so on the serpent talking thing, because serpents can talk. I mean, I think that's that's my basic thing is to say, we believe the Bible, so the serpent talked. Now, serpents today don't typically talk. I don't think this is also a typical thing either. I think it was a special occasion when the serpent talked to Eve. Um, but nevertheless, he did. So this isn't some weird allegory. A ton of well-intentioned or maybe poorly intentioned so-called Christians often will say this is like allegory or somehow it's not real or maybe the serpent is just a like it's actually an angel and it really should have been seraphim because seraphim is like a serpent-like angel being whatever I, I think you stick with a simple text and say the serpent talked and deal with it there's also an instance in um, numbers where a donkey talks and he's given special power to talk to the owner um, so it's that's what I'd say base mm-hmm question though this is just my theory mm-hmm. could it be that adam and eve understood animal language <laughs> <laughs> you know i've actually never heard that one yay like were they beast yay. boy um or aquaman or something like uh, nice like aquaman yeah. yeah uh like they communicate but they don't speak with literal words it's a pretty complicated thought to say you must not eat from any tree of the garden. Did God really say? I think they aren't reading snake body language. I think he's really <laughs> speaking to them. I mean, don't they hiss? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. I guess I don't preclude the possibility of them being able to, to understand animals, but considering we cannot, I don't think it was a superpower of theirs. Um, but maybe. It's, so I guess it could have been like a unique gifting to Adam and Eve to be able to um, read animal body language, but then you're still stuck with the instance in numbers where the donkey talks to Balaam who is not a animal whisperer. So um, yeah, I'm going to go with the supernatural does happen in the Bible mm-hmm. and usually it doesn't bother us. So I don't know why it bothers so many people in this case, but it does. So I think you just, just believe it. Um, the second thing is why was there evil in the garden to begin with? Um, that one's a little harder to wrap your head around because the Lord says that everything he created was good, but there's a reason I put it in this order. Sebastian just said that the Lord creates both evil and good. And so in this case, um, it, even in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't a toss-up between good and evil, and God was waiting to see what people would decide. There was always a plan here, and the plan was always that there be a fall so that there could be restoration. There would be a fall so that Jesus could be the firstborn among uh, the whole multitude of brothers. And so it was always the plan of the Lord to allow for evil in the Garden, and so the serpent was evil in this case. Whether he was possessed by Satan or whatever, some there was some origin of evil prior to the fall of man, and so, yes, God allowed it into the garden, ultimately. Um, it doesn't excuse man. It doesn't excuse the serpent. It doesn't excuse anyone. Um, but it speaks to God's sovereignty in that 
he, he had a plan from the beginning. It was always the plan for mankind to fall um, and be restored. Yeah. 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 All right. Preaching the choir. Theodore, I'm flying through. That's uh, your next verse. Give First Samuel 16. Yeah, I don't know if I should do all these. Should I do First uh, Samuel 16 or Second Samuel 24, which is where uh, David numbers the people? Uh, we can do them all. Let's do First Samuel 16. I'm, I'm thinking verse 15. So <laughs> this is okay, Saul um, is being tormented by an evil spirit. Yes. Uh, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David uh, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to uh, Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is skillful, who is a skillful player on the harp, and it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you. And he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. And I got his David. So what's the, what's the weird thing about this one? Spell it out. Uh, I'd say the weird thing about this is, uh, like you said, uh, verse 15, um, well, 14 and 15, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Mm -hmm. um, and then the next verse Oh, yeah, just yeah, basically that. And so why would God take his spirit from Saul? And why would God send an evil spirit? Right. Your commentary on it? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot of repetition, right? But I think um, the general thing is prior to all this, Saul had proved himself to be a not good king. And finally, the Lord says, like, this is your life. Samuel says to Saul through the Lord. Um, this is your last test. You decided to move without God. Um, you're a bad king. And so I'm going to leave from you and anoint another king. And that's why, like you read, Samuel goes and finds the new king, David, and anoints him. Even though Saul is still the king, um, Daniel, David is the, the anointed to be king. And so from that moment on, Saul had the spirit of the Lord removed from him. And everybody should remember that Saul was the king that didn't want to be king. Like the Israelites wanted mm -hmm. a king. And so God picks out a big, huge guy who's super shy. Saul. He's huge. He's from a tiny tribe of Benjamin, um, but he's huge. He looks like a king. Um, and so he picks him, even though he's going to be a crappy ruler. Like he's shy. He's like a manual laborer from his family. And so the, he hides. Saul went, goes and hides. Like he's not, he's not ready to be king. He doesn't want to be king. He's not a fighter. Um, so the Lord specifically empowers Saul so that at least he can play the part of a king because the Israelites are asking for a king. So he specifically empowers Saul. Just like we said that in Genesis would be, 3. Yeah. Sorry. And that would be the spirit of the Lord upon Saul. Right. So Saul had supernatural strengthening um, in, in the midst of being a king here. But even with that, he fails. And this, again, we, we know that God is sovereign, so it's not like this wasn't part of the plan. It was part of the plan. But that um, doesn't excuse Saul for being bad. Saul does disobey the Lord, even with the Spirit of the Lord in him. And so the Lord removes his spirit from him, which was a gift to begin with, so he just removes the gift. Mm. And then, as punishment, I think, for wickedness, um, the evil spirit goes to Saul and also as a judgment on Israel who wanted a king over them as, in the first place, he sends an evil spirit on Saul to torment him. So I guess part of that is like, why did God leave Saul? We just explained it. But the evil spirit is also interesting because how would God, who is perfectly good, have an evil spirit with him that he could send to Saul? you have any commentary on that? Well, there... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So Satan, when he goes to destroy everything job has satan goes to god and therefore he is sent out from the presence of god so basically from god mm -hmm. uh, to do evil and i there's another place maybe in first or second kings where a prophet was basically uh telling a vision that he had where god said who will go do this for me this evil spirit presents itself before God and says, I will. And God says, okay, oh, basically inflict this um, judgment. Yeah, it was a lying spirit attempt the king of Israel to attack um, a king that he shouldn't have. So, yes, the Lord clearly deals with evil spirits. 
And that's why I think we have to be careful of what we assume or we say about God and how he tolerates wickedness because some, many well-intentioned American Christians will say that God can't even be in the presence of wickedness and that's why hell exists and, and blah, blah, blah. That's saying too much because clearly he does tolerate, first of all, wicked men because here we all are wicked men and he hasn't killed us all yet. But two, he clearly tolerates evil spirits like Satan, like the lying spirit that you mentioned, like this evil spirit that is, that is sent to torment Saul in his court. So like, clearly he does tolerate these and that doesn't make him evil. It just means that he is tolerating evil. He's merciful and he's using the evil spirits to their ends, which is, it's good that Saul is being tormented because it's, it's just punishment for Saul. So mm -hmm. God isn't the tormentor of Saul. Um, specifically, it's the evil spirit, but it is ultimately from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And we'll have to remember that it was God who actually chose Saul at first to mm -hmm. be the king. And I was just rereading because someone made a comment on how Saul met Samuel on accident, quote unquote, when the donkeys get lost. And then, oh, and then right. he, but it's not really on accident because uh, God tells Samuel, um, I have brought him, uh, he will encounter this man. In other, in other words, I'm pretty sure it's getting, getting the point across. I made this happen. Right. And then also, and then now you're seeing the punishment that's being inflicted on Saul. I find it more wild that specifically when he placed the liar, the evil spirit's going to stop tormenting Saul. That that's that's just me. I mean, I understand. I get the to me, I get the evil spirit asking God for permission and then tormenting Saul. But the fact that the evil spirit's going to stop tormenting Saul when David placed the liar, that to me, that's more bizarre than than the evil spirit showing up to begin with. I mean, I suppose it is bizarre, but we don't really understand how the spirit right. world works right. particularly. And I think it also allows for David to enter the scene. So um, it seems like a, a God-intended weakness yes. of the evil spirit to be weak to a liar, kind of which he has also gifted David in playing. Allows for David to be a servant of the king. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of, and start with like a servant's heart, per se. All right. I think that's a pretty solid rebuttal and a good question. I mean, that's... We can't deny any of these verses are truly weird questions because I'm not going to pretend like I, when I first read that, that I was like, oh, obviously, like I still had to think about it as well. So mm -hmm. it's a good one. Sebastian, you're up next. Isaiah 13, I think. Oh, yeah. You can tell I really like Isaiah. <clears throat> 13, verse 13, yes. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Like a hunted gazelle, like sheep without a shepherd, they will all return to their own people. They will flee to their native land. Whoever is captured, captured will be thrust through. All who are caught will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be looted and their wives violated. See, I will stir up against them the Medes, who do not care for silver and have no delight in gold. Their bows will strike down the young men. They will have no mercy on infants, nor will they look with compassion on children. And that's it. And this is on a prophecy against the against Babylon, so the destruction of the Babylonian Empire. Mm -hmm. And the, the highlight verse there that people go, ah! it's also a, a psalmic verse, it's in the Psalms too, is their infants will be dashed to pieces before their eyes, their houses will be looted and their wives violated. Um, and again, he even doubles down in the last verse says, they will have no mercy on infants, nor will they look with compassion on children. And the excuse, I believe, that many well-intentioned Christians or non-Christians make for the Lord when bad things happen is that um, people have free will. So the Medes, who the Lord is bringing up as a people to destroy the Babylonians, choose to um, kill children, strike down infants, violate wives, etc. Um, and therefore the Lord like sent them, but they overstepped their place. Which we know related from Isaiah that he says the same about the Assyrians, that they do similar things and they overstep their place. However, know here that God knows exactly how they're going to overstep their place, that he knows that they're going to have no more sin, infants, and violate wives, etc. And that it's part of the plan, it's part of the curse on Babylon is those exact things. And so we cannot shy away from seeing the Lord brings about, again, through means, he, he wasn't the one violating wives, he wasn't the one um, killing infants. But he, he ordains it for his purposes, for the cursing of Babylon. So he is just. And again, if there's anybody able and just to bring about disaster like that, it's the Lord. So he isn't wicked because he doesn't violate the wives. But yeah, he, he ordained it 
which is which is different and to say otherwise is to deny the lord's goodness here mm -hmm. and also doesn't mean that the meats are, are a bunch of saints right. clearly they are doing this out of their own evil desires to not even plunder the land but just exterminate people so which is what they did in history too mm -hmm. so they will have also their judgment for the evil desires of their hearts yep any comments they All right, let me throw it. I'll, I'll get one verse here and then we'll throw it back to you, Theodore. I've got another supernatural verse. So going to Joshua, um, Joshua 10, I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast is where Joshua is killing a bunch of Canaanites, which bothers some people. Um, we have to recognize God's justice in that too. But um, apart from that, he's doing it so well. These roads are, are defeating their enemies so well that Joshua pleads to the Lord that they have more time to do it because there's, it's going to turn nighttime. It's way harder to chase people down and kill them at night because they can hide. And so he pleads to the Lord. And so the Lord answers his prayer. And it says, So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on the, its enemies. And as it was written in the book of Jasher, some book we don't have, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord listened to a voice of a man because the Lord fought for Israel. And so the, the thing that people typically go, what is that the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down a full day? Mm -hmm. And people go, well, that's not physically possible. Well, I mean, snakes talking isn't normally physically possible. And a lot of other stuff is not physically possible. So I don't know why some of these things make people stand still. And the Lord, like, also brings hail that destroys the enemies and, like, drives them out and whatever else. And has fiery whirlwinds and parts seas and things. that I'll do you a better one. Or rises does. from the dead. Yeah, or rises from the dead. Like, none of those, yes, people question them because they hate God. But, like, they don't come out of the same... Um, atheist ire and even Christian ire as this kind of thing. So I don't know why Christians and atheists are into making either excuses or particularly attacking this one, um, but you read it and yeah, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky. Like it, the Lord made it happen. So you might question how did this happen? You know, if the, if the earth stopped spinning, we'd all fly out from the momentum and we'd all die. Um, I can tell you that there are about 1,001 ways the Lord can do it physically in the ways we understand physics working. He could slowly slow down the rotation of the earth so that the, the so that it does eventually stop and then slowly start it up again so that nobody dies and the momentum shifts. He can change the trajectory of the sun so that it stays still and nobody's flown out of balance. Um, there's a lot of things he can do physically to make it work. But even if he totally broke the laws of physics to make it happen, I mean, he is God, so I we, you just trust that he did this. It doesn't doesn't make any logical errors, and the Lord made everything. Of course, he can make the sun stop in the sky. Yes. So I think even uh, you, Theodore, have come to me and asked, and, and you, Sebastian, also, like, how, how did God make the sun stop? Because we know that the earth travels around the sun, so it didn't really stop in the middle of the sky. Okay, well, yeah, it actually is way out there. It's not in the middle uh -huh. of the sky. It's way uh -huh. out there. But to us, it's in the middle of the sky. So whatever he did, it appeared that the sun stopped in the middle of the sky for a day. Yeah. And just so everyone knows, we are spherical earthers. We are spherical <laughs> earthers. <laughs> and heliocentrists and all the rest. Yeah. Good disclaimer. Uh-huh. And um, anyway, I already lost my train of thought. Right. <laughs> whatever. I was going to say something else about how we, we just believe this to be true, but I have forgotten what I was going to say. So we'll move on. There you go. Trouble pass. Okay. I, 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 that's never one has never troubled me, but I know it has troubled many people, including co-hosts here. So it just, just happens. That's yeah. I used to be in a cult uh, five years ago and they have like 30 lessons or principles. And one of those is about the sun stopping. Really? So <laughs> what do they have yeah. to say? Do you remember? We'll take it and use it for themselves. Uh, I don't remember too clearly right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't want to waste time. Oh, oh you know what? I was, I've right. remembered my own thing too. You bought me time. Um, some will also argue that we don't have ancient records about this happening. So how could it possibly happen? Well, one, the very next verse says that there's been no day like this. So it's not a regular event. And two, um, it was in the middle of the Bronze Age collapse, which everybody's society was falling apart and all the scribes were getting fired or dead. So um, it's not that surprising that nobody writes about this because there wasn't that many people to write. It was a long time ago and it was in the middle of like super crisis mode. So again, not surprising we don't have records of this besides the Bible. Yeah. And didn't God send like a huge hail mm -hmm. stones as well? Yep. Okay. And I remember that's one thing the cult uh, sent like an article on like kind of modern day huge hailstones were found 
in some place. So that it's just a where they're <laughs> arguing a, for something. But I they don't, don't understand. They still don't have the same uh, explanation is. Yeah, it's like we're trying to come up with naturalistic explanations. The like maybe the hail just happened. It, you know, like God brought it about, but it was going to happen anyways. Like quote unquote God bring it about, but it really it was just a bad hailstorm that happened to hit Israelites' enemies. Like. And it was God's supernatural hail. <laughs> yes, hail yeah. is a thing, and the Lord has ordained it to happen across the earth for many reasons, um, and it's not always to punish people or, or any reason. And yes, there's large hailstones that can kill people, but like, I mean, he used hail to kill them, so it was big hail, and he did it specifically against Israelites' enemies. It wasn't any, like, naturally occurring thing. The Lord used nature to have it out. Wasn't, there's a wilder one, I think, than the sun stopping. Isn't one in doing the kingdom of Israel that God makes the sun take the shadow yeah, of the back. stairs back. Yeah. Yep. Oh, same, yeah. same deal. Reverses the sun. So not only that's wilder. It's it's well, it's way less time. Joshua stands still for full day, whereas that one it goes back like ten minutes or something. But um, yeah, it's also it's reverse reversing the sun's trajectory. Same same deal. Same totally physically possible um, with the Lord's ordination. Like Elisha throwing a wood stick into the water to make an axe head float or whatever right i mean it's it's supernatural god. Like it's god's power nature. right it's not it's not replicable without god's power all right theodore you're up next i think you had second samuel verse 20 or yeah this 24. is a long well okay i'll you, go with it you can just do like 11 through 14 if you're going to direct quote okay i'll start from the beginning though and then i'll skip okay down go ahead Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. Um, and then skip to nine. And Joab gave the number of the registration to the people uh, of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and men of Judah were 500,000 men. David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now, O Lord... Please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. When David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, uh, saying, Go and speak to David. Thus the Lord says, I am offering you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, which I will do to you. So <laughs> Gad came to David and told him and said, uh, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and see what uh, answer I shall return to him sent me. Uh, then David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and 70,000 men, the people of Dan to Beersheba, died. Uh, when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, It is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was, at the, was by the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. Uh, then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking down the people, and he said, Behold, it is I who have sinned. It is I who have done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's house. Uh, so Gad came to David day and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranah, the Jebusite. David went up according to the word of Gad, just as the Lord commanded. And he bought the threshing floor and erected an altar and whatnot. All right. <laughs> so we've got um, David enacting a census and the Lord being angry about it. I guess that's that's confusing in and of itself. But then the Lord gives David the options. He's given the game show options of three um, bad consequences for his bad behavior. And uh, then, then the Lord follows through with the choice that David makes. So tell me, Theodore Sebastian, what's the weirdest part of this to you? Is it the census being the thing that makes God mad? Is it his three options? Is it the fact that he goes through with the option, that he withholds from Jerusalem, that he shows up in the threshing floor? There's a lot of <laughs> interesting things here. The, to me, it's like the a, oh, Go ahead, Theodore. Each of the three uh, things are a third <laughs> strange. I get maybe why, like, being a census of the army or whatever, that might be distrusting of the Lord. 
Mm -hmm. um, because maybe he's just seeing, oh, how strong are we? Or maybe he's prideful seeing how strong are we and not relying on the strength of God, Mm -hmm. relying on the direction of God. And then the three options, maybe, I don't know, God is testing David's discernment for his choice or selflessness for self selfishness. Um, That's my take too, is that it's a test. Um, now, of course, nothing from God is is a test in a human way. Like God knows what David will say, but he gives the test for the sake of like the story. And and so David chooses correctly, which is um, it's, it would be, it's hard for a human to choose which one's better for your people. Three years of famine, three months of, of being defeated by your enemies or three days of plague because plague can be incredibly deadly. And so the, I think they're all pretty much equal, if not super close to each other as far as what's actually bad death wise. Um, and then David chooses correctly because even though they're all pretty much equal, only one of the options is purely the Lord killing people, and that is the plague. And so, right. also the plague. yeah, that's verse 14. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. Yep. And the Lord doesn't go, you, you chose correctly. Hooray. I won't even do it to you. He's like, okay, plague it is, and then brings the plague. And he kills 70,000 men um, with, the, with the plague. But I think it, this is purposefully juxtaposed against the census because the Lord actually doesn't kill that many people. Like he kills people, 70,000, but it's nothing compared to the 800,000 they just said were caught in census. And like so, a million and a half, I think. All right, right. So it's... Um, so it's a very small percentage showing true that the Lord is merciful. So he does bring consequence because there is consequence for this, but it's actually not that much. And he, he spares Jerusalem and David comes and does a second good thing by saying like, why are you killing people like hurt me instead? And the Lord relents. So the Lord <laughs> really does say like, good choice. He, he just doesn't do it the baby way of saying like, good choice, no punishment. <laughs> actually, he, he does his word. He goes by his word. He, carries out punishment Mm -hmm. now what might be tough or harsh would be that who are the seventy thousand that died were they just innocent bystand innocent quote-unquote bystanders Mm -hmm. that that were just sitting by all women and children (laughs) (laughs) i mean they they didn't um they didn't enact the census right so it is kind of weird that they Mm -hmm. are giving this punishment instead of david like david says but we all know the lord is just on who he decides to take so these aren't people who are purely innocent. Nobody's purely right. innocent. So they died for their sins, um, but they also died for David's sin on top of that. Yep. Yeah. So nobody is, just throw is in purely there. innocent, but yes, they didn't Sorry. die for, they didn't do this sin. And if they're like in good standing with God, if they're God's sheep and whatnot, then I think it was Romans 14, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Why? Uh-huh, it's true. However you want to see yeah. it, I kind of see death as just a oh, different body, different place. Trust God. Yeah, I mean, it's not good. Let's not pretend like death is good. But um, yes, the Lord is, is just to deal with people justly. So when he kills these 70,000, he could be bringing them to heaven, which, again, it's not ideal because death is death and still bad. And now they have to wait for the new bodies. But eventually they were going to die. And this way it was the Lord's choosing. Mm-hmm. And again... If there's anybody just to kill people, it's the Lord, not not men. Exactly. All right, we're going to keep trucking. We have three verses left. Um, Sebastian, you want to take, uh, this is one of Theodore's actually, but you want to take Second Kings 1? Yes. Yep, I was just, re- oh yeah, yeah. So the new king of Israel, Ahaziah, got injured and sends to one of his messengers, go consult Baal, Zebub, God of Ekron, to see if I recover. Obviously, Yahweh is upset, and the angel of the Lord says to Elijah, "Go meet messengers of the king. Tell them you're not, you're never going to leave this bed, and you're going to die." So he meets the messengers. The king says to his soldiers, "Find this man, bring him over." And then Elijah, I assume he must be on higher ground, a mountain, because when the soldiers approach him. In verse 9, the king, then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. 
the captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of, oh yeah, on top of a hill, and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I am the man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the king sent Elijah another captain with his fifty men. The captain said to him, Man of God, this is what the king says, come down at once. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, May fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his fifty men. Yep. So, maybe obvious question to the crowd, but the, the oddness I finished here... that up. What? There's like a third part to that. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. The, the final, the innocent, yes, the man is spared. So the king sent a third yeah. captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the life, lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men. But now have respect for my life. And he does. And then the Lord, then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. So these 50 men do not die. So the question here would be that um, we all understand why the Lord is judging the king Ahaziah. He's going to a different God. That's bad. Um, And we all understand why Elijah is called down to correct him or at least curse him and say, like, you're going to die and you're red. Um, But isn't it weird that the Lord clearly enables and plans for Elijah to kill 50 men who are just coming to get him and bring him to the king, which is his mission anyways, that, that Elijah goes like, die, you know, here's, here's fire. And then they all die. And then a second time they all die. And the third people are like, please don't kill us. The Lord does relent for the record. Um, I think it gets easier to understand when you see that the 50 last men ask for mercy and receive it because that sounds right like asking for mercy and getting it but the first two groups of men did they really need to ask for mercy to not die by fire it's not like they like you know flipped them off and said like death to god they were just going to come and get him um so what do you what do you think men i'm thinking the following elijah if you remember had just been run out of town by the previous king ahab the father of the current Mm -hmm. king um, and his wife jezebel and so he had been hiding out in the mountains and he had been threatened to die. And Jezebel said that he, she was going to kill him like he was on the death watch. And so he comes back with courage and bravery from the Lord to go give this prophecy to Ahaziah. Um, but when ah- Ahaziah recognizes him as Elijah the Tishbite, it's like recognizing him as a Osama bin Laden. Like, like <laughs> there's the terrorist, you know, like the anti-state guy who's always yelling at the state. And here's Ahaziah, son of Jezebel, um, does not like Elijah. And so when he sends 50 men to go get Elijah... 50 men v one man i think you understand the insinuation is they're going to arrest him maybe beat him up like probably not bring him to the king in mm-hmm. good terms 50 men like they're like it's a huge battalion a giant police force for one guy and so that's why elijah answers them if i am a man of god because they call him a man of god um insinuating like i don't think you really respect me as a man of god um, if i am a man of god i'll prove it to you and kill you all and then blamo they die um, and then another the king isn't stopped he's not like okay like bring this guy in peacefully he sends another 50 men to go apprehend elijah and again they all die so this is an arrest Mm -hmm. attempt this is them trying to arrest elijah and he kills them all and then finally um the king does not relent the king does not say like stop trying to arrest him he keeps (laughs) trying to arrest elijah he sends a third group of 50 men Uh, but these men don't obey their king they they say like (laughs) we're doing it because because we obey the king um, to come to you, but we don't actually want to arrest you. Like, please have respect for the lives of our servants. Please don't kill us, right? <laughs> like, he knows enough to, and he said the benefit of two other groups of men dying, um, to ask for mercy. And so the Lord does relent. So I think context here shows that these men are really enemy combatants, and it is understandable when enemy combatants die in the line of duty. And verse 15 supports what you say. The angel of the Lord says to Elijah, go down with him, don't be afraid of him. So if he's telling him, don't be afraid of this one, but you should have been afraid, quote unquote, afraid of the other two. Yeah. The other two had bad intentions for you, meaning right. beat you up or kill you on the road. Right. So there you go. That one is probably the easiest to explain of all the ones we talked about because I think it's just a misunderstanding of it for the most part, unless you just don't see God killing anybody ever as being just. Um, but I think the reason people find this strange is because they don't understand why these 50 men kept dying. And I think when you explain why they were enemies of Elijah, you know better. All right. Um, I'll take 
the second to last one, and then Theodore, you can have the last to say. Um, oh, but these are combined, actually. I'm going to let you actually have this one, Theodore, and then I'll, I'll end with a uh, uh, second one. So this is Second Kings 2. It's the good old Elisha verse. Oh, okay. Then he, Elijah, went up there from Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. <laughs> when he looked behind oh, him and saw burn. them... <laughs> when he looked uh, behind him and saw them, uh, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up the 42 lads. Um, tore up 42 lads of them. Uh, and he went on there. Uh, to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Yep, so he's just walking nonchalant, like, who even cares? <laughs> um, I think sure. the weirdness of this one just spells it out, right? And first of all, that Elisha, not to be confused with Elijah, Elisha or Elisha, however people want you to say his name, uh, prophet right after Elijah, oh. is walking around evidently bald, um, probably, unless the boys are really making stuff up, um, <laughs> no, probably bald, and that kids are making fun of him. A ton of kids, apparently, like... 40, 42 boys, um, so a ton of kids, like basically representing a gang or the huge town, not just a couple, are coming up and making fun of them. Get out of here, Baldy. Go up, Baldy, or you know, whatever your translation says. And so they're mocking a man of God who's known as the new man of God, and so he's going to prove to them that he is the man of God by cursing them. And the Lord sees fit to enact the curse um, via death. So Elisha doesn't necessarily enact their death because he doesn't say kill them unless it's insinuated in the curse. But the Lord sees fit to prove Elisha's new anointing by having these kids die. So the question is, oh, they were just boys. They were just lads or whatever your translation says. Um, they shouldn't have died. Um, what say you, Sebastian? I say they should have because they're not honoring the man who's representing God with the nation of Israel. And if they're just insulting him like that, then clearly they have no love for God. And what say you, Theodore? This is your hard verse. <laughs> You're supposed to be the one with the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one with the answers. I'm the man behind the machine. No. <laughs> you generate um, answers machine. Chat, Michael. I don't know. I mean, if people want to say like, so young or whatever um you can just argue for like an age of accountability or whatever i presume <laughs> they're above like six seven eight nine ten eleven years old it says young lads so obviously we don't know how old maybe they're between 10 and 15 or something mm -hmm. yeah um, I, you can make the excuse like maybe they're older and, and granted they probably were i mean they're old enough to be going around roaming by themselves because they're not with their parents and they're old enough to like want to make fun of this guy and call him baldy, right? So like, they're clearly not like little toddlers. They're they're boys, whatever age. I would also say, insults don't warrant death. That's in then the law of God. Insults do not warrant death. Um, now Sebastian says that they're insulting the prophet, so there's a higher standard, which is true. Um, but what we don't see here is Elisha killing them. Right. He curses them, and the Lord kills them via bears. So I think this is the Lord probably surprising Elisha with, with his, his consequence here for these boys. But again, as we keep saying, the Lord knows, mm -hmm. knows hearts, one, and he's the only one that's just in killing. And so the Lord decides to kill these via bears. Um, I don't know that that was really Elisha's intention, but even if it was justified in that he's the prophet of God and he can do that if he's led by the Lord to do so, um, I would maybe quote another uh, law from Deuteronomy. Um, about disobedient children don't know that it applies but i think it's the same spirit that mm -hmm. also shocks people and that's this this is deuteronomy 21 if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and not listen to them when they discipline him his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town they shall say to the elders this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious he will not obey us he is a glutton and a drunkard then all the men of his town are to stone him to death you must purge the evil from among you all israel will hear of it and be afraid now, that's a law from God. We know it is good, even if it doesn't sound like it. Um, this clearly is not talking about your typical 
temper tantrum from your two-year-old who is rebellious. This is a persistent and consistent rebellion. It's somebody who is the capability of becoming a glutton and a drunkard. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they're like 30 because um, you can be a drunkard even at 14, but it does mean that you have a like a consistent pattern of matured behavior enough that you are now considered a glutton and a drunkard and you will not obey and they already put to death. Now, this is a really, really hard law, as you can imagine, for parents to do to somebody and then the elders have to see it and the whole town has to stun them to death. Um, but they're supposed to do it. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. This is good for Israel to put to death this kind of son. So it's not just one time. It's not even just a couple times. It's a pattern of behavior that can be definitional to the person. These boys then, conversely, the ones that make fun of Elisha, are clearly not under their parents' supervision. They are rejecting all kinds of authority. Even Elisha, who had done nothing to them, they were calling him baldy and making fun of him, knowing he's the the new anointed man of God. And so the Lord enacts his own law and he purges the evil from among them and puts these boys to death. So something that none of the elders or the parents are willing to do to these boys, the Lord puts them to death. So we would we would probably equate these two laws and say the Lord is enacting his own law here, requirement that mm-hmm. rebellious sons be put to death. Mm-hmm. I would also point out, they didn't just tell him, go up in the Septuagint, go up bold man go up and get up go go up on the road and get away from here what else did they do he says as he was walking on the road what did the boys do michael or theater whoever's reading they came out of the town jeered at him yes you might be you might be saying this is this is strange to point out they probably knew that he was coming and they went out of their way to go out there and just do it and says mock or ridicule him Mm -hmm. so in on the age of accountability i would say it's probably one day old since the psalmist david says surely i was sinful from birth so so (laughs) (laughs) so from even from day one our hearts are inclined towards evil so i would say that these were aware of what they were doing they're like we're gonna go out of our way to go make fun of this uh, man who we know is a prophet of god so there you go. Uh, you may not like the way we've dealt with these verses, but at least you know of them if you hadn't heard them before. And if you have heard them, hopefully what we've said makes sense. This is, of course, advice for Christians. If you're not a Christian and you hate God, well, of course, you're going to hate these explanations. But if you are a Christian, you at least have to wrestle with these verses. And if you don't agree with the way we take them, you cannot take them and say that they're not the word of God or they didn't really happen or that God wasn't in control because any of those answers are anti-Christian. You're not a Christian if you consistently hold to those views right so you need to be able to wrestle with these maybe you have different explanations better explanations than we have but they have to fall in line to a sovereign god and that the bible is true so um, any closing comments theodore sebastian about these verses i just wanted to bring a little uh happiness yeah (laughs) or hopefulness um so one good thing that we should all take away from uh these passages um, we can just go to Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14. Um, uh, the conclusion, when all has been uh, heard, is fear God and keep his commands. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And we also see God's sovereign hand in everything. Uh, that uh, Colossians 1, 16 to 17, and Hebrews 1, verse 3, uh, both mention that all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Um, and also may plan, the Proverbs 16, verse 9, we might plan our own ways, but, the God, or, but God determines our steps. Um, the... And whenever, uh, so obviously, some people might say, why is God doing this? Or why do people deserve this? Um, or why would God maybe be a co- or secondary cause or something? And we can go to Jeremiah 18, 6 to 8. Uh, Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel, is what God says. At uh, one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation, though, uh, against which I have spoken, turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. 
And uh, Paul repeats this kind of in Romans 9, 19 to 20, um, basically saying it's foolish of us to answer back to God. Um, will the thing that is molded say to the molder, uh, why did you make me like this? Or why did you do this or bring this about? Whatever. Foolish of us to clap back. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess that's the term uh, back at God. Um, anything else? <laughs> no. Yes. That's good. Yeah. For my ad, in the same Romans, God does, uh, Paul um, speaks by the Holy Spirit, that God works everything for the good of those who love him. And we know that God is sovereign to absolutely everything that happens in, in this universe. As Joseph in his wisdom, in his later life, said to his brothers who maliciously intended to either kill him or sell him as a slave, he said, what you meant for evil, my brothers, God meant for good. Again, God uses all these things, all these uh, demented things that people have done through time, either heroes from the Bible who are uh, a bunch of clowns every once in a while, Abraham uh, gives his wife away, mm-hmm. and you know Samson's also a... A big buffoon and a sinner. So God uses sinful, broken people to achieve his means. And as Christians, we trust and we know, by even by the direct testimony of Jesus, that he works everything for good. He takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. He doesn't uh, delight in these things. In Ezekiel 18, he says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? The answer is no. He rhetorical saying, I have no delight in the destruction of the wicked. I am just, God is just, but and he will bring destruction and punishment on those who do evil, but he doesn't enjoy it maliciously or anything like that. In fact, in Jonah tries to clap back at God when 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 he's after trying to escape God sailing across over to Tarashish in probably Spain, my theory, says, I this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And then he keeps complaining to God, but ultimately... Too merciful. Yes. What's Stop the, being good. Yeah, kill these people. God, what are you doing? The people of Nineveh. So I would say God, more often than not, decides to show mercy on not just the clowns the buffoons that lived in the times of the old testament but us buffoons living today we on a regular basis are transgressing against god from our birth as the psalmist says but rather god is slow to anger abounding in mercy and we trust that all these things that may seem quote-unquote harsh to us god will bring ultimately to good amen that's why we have found well Oh, I was going to add a little bit. Add, <laughs> An addendum. Add a little bit. Do it. <laughs> and for those who repent, turn from the way, ways and have faith in Jesus, uh, we can read 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 9 to 11. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we live or die, uh, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Um, and obviously Romans 8, 37 to 39 says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything uh, created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Revelation 12, 11, <laughs> and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word, uh, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their earthly or earthly life, their lives, even when faced with death. Death, and we see this very clearly. This is the last one: with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel three uh, verses seventeen to eighteen, um, where they say, "Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, which Nebuchadnezzar was going to put them into." And they say, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, 
Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Amen. God is not your uh, baby Jesus, soft-faced man. He is a sovereign and great king, and we can take great encouragement because he's way bigger than us, and so nothing can harm us if we're in his wings, even the things that are supposed to harm us by the world standards. That's why we found our cause serving the very same Lord Jesus Christ. I have been Michael, the hand behind the, the man, the man, man behind the machine, and to my right has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And all the way across the airwaves, it's been... Theodore, under the PC. Thank you for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you got to go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all for listening pleasure, unless you want to see our beautiful faces, because these are just audio only. you got to go to YouTube then, or facebook.com forward slash foundcause. We are there. Our podcasts are there. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you might download your podcast. Until next time, we talk about something... Yes, legitimately completely different, I'm pretty sure. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.